Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the I Hear Design podcast. This is Robert Niemannan, Editor-at-Large of Interiors and Sources, and I'm glad you've joined us because we are starting a new three-part series on technology that I am really excited about and I think you all will find really interesting as well. So obviously, technology touches all of our lives in a myriad of ways and continues to uh, advance at breakneck speeds. And the impact on the design process has been really profound as well, um, from 3D rendering to AR, VR goggles to IoT-enabled devices throughout buildings. Designers have more innovative tools and access to data uh, to inform their design decisions than ever before. But knowing how to leverage data that's collected and to use it in a meaningful way is a completely different story altogether and one that I'm not an expert on by any means. So I've invited a couple of guys who are experts uh, in the subject to be here today. Joe Liao is the co-founder of Linear A, a data-focused practice out of Chicago. And Brett Nebaker is Linear A's data science manager, and they're here to shed some light on the topic of data-driven design. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Robert. Uh, this is Joel, um, and uh, we've got uh, we've got Brett hanging out in, in in nice warm Phoenix while I'm sitting here in the snow <laughs> in Chicago. So quite <laughs> jealous nice. of that right now. Nice, um, yeah, yeah. I'm in I South think, Florida too, so uh, yeah. I think oh Brett, man, Brett and I are on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the uh, I'm the odd man out here. I uh, picked the wrong state for winter. Um, <laughs> I should have probably looked at the data. That would have pro that would have made yeah. some sense. <laughs> Good point. So first so of all, a um, little bit about Linear A. Um, uh-huh. Our focus is advanced analytics for uh, architecture, engineering, and construction. But we, you know, that's kind of our sweet spot. It's our it's our background. Uh, my background as a founder uh, in both computational design and uh, as a traditional project architect. So I've seen I've seen how data matters from the strategy side all the way through construction. Uh, my business partner Eric Carlson. Is a is a healthcare uh, has a healthcare finance background and an analytics background as well. So we always like to say our our careers and our practice is underpinned by data, with a, mm-hmm. a deep understanding of its impact on design. Brett, who I'm kind of facilitating an introduction for, is comes at this from a, a radically different background, uh, which is uh, of a huge benefit for our firm. Uh, and I'll let him talk a little bit about about his background and, and his mm-hmm. experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, uh, I do not come from a healthcare or architecture background. Actually, most of my career has been spent in tech, uh, and I've been working as a data scientist in, in a variety of companies in, in the technology space, both large and small. But, you know, we like to say that uh, data is agnostic, so it doesn't necessarily, you know, the subject matter experts can inform us to help, you know, the data scientists make better decisions but and understand the data better. But you know, the, the processes in which the data scientist approaches problems doesn't really change. And so the, the tech background um, just makes me have to ask Joel more questions about what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that quote, data is agnostic. I'm going to have to tweet that or something. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, you guys are definitely the ones that, that, that we need to be talking to today for this topic. So, yeah, so let's kind of get into the conversation. So for our listeners out there who may not be um, that well-versed with data-driven design, how do you guys define it? Like, like what what all does it encompass? So for for us, data driven design is really a, a mechanism to integrate and use data, whether that data is via like a collection from systems, whether BIM models, sensors, uh, mobile apps, etc., um, mm-hmm. or 
analysis of that data or even some simulation. So I have a background in, in daylighting, for example. So the data that we generate from a daylighting simulation is based on real-world data, but the results are synthetic. So, you know, there's a couple different ways um, that we would say we would use data, but at the end of the day, we're trying to leverage and integrate it to make better decisions and inform design outcomes. It's uh, it, it should be viewed as a way of helping make decisions and enabling better decisions and not as something that's replacing like a designer's intuition or anything else. It should always be mm -hmm. kind of balanced with a human element. Yeah, absolutely. Brett, did you want to add anything to that? No, I think Phil said that really well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally agree, by the way. But so when we talk about data-driven design, like in practice, how does it really work? Like what systems need to be in place to start collecting data uh, in, in buildings? Sure. So I think, you know, from from our perspective, it can work a, a few different ways. Like Brett and I work uh, constantly on collecting large amounts of data relevant to the project types that we that we pursue, whether that's a strategic plan or a master plan all the way into, like, we'll say something that's detailed as an operations design project. So for us, it really starts with the collection and understanding of what's out there, taking an inventory of what's available and what's relevant, and what really helps tell the story about that particular project. We're not necessarily amassing data for, like, just to monetize it, just to kind of, like, shape a design arbitrarily. We're, we try to be very intentional with, uh, with the data that we collect and that we use, and I think that leads to a better design outcome. It, and it just keeps us from muddying the water too much. Uh, at the end of the day, that's just our goal is to, again, leverage what we can collect to inform a decision and not, you know, necessarily create an option, you know, from data. I'm not going to load, load a data table up and then it's going to generate a building. That's not necessarily what we're looking to do from a data-driven design perspective. Right. Yeah, Brett, you have any thoughts? I think, um, you know, when when we talk about collecting data specifically. Um, I actually, when when we're going into new companies and, and they're starting to, they want to start utilizing data and their questions usually start with, well, what should I collect? And it mm -hmm. kind of sounds like a cop-out or it kind of sounds like maybe it's just a, a too broad of an answer, but ultimately the answer is anything that you feel is relevant should be collected, right? Anything that you think mm -hmm. could be utilized in any shape or fashion, which uh, sometimes it's hard to conceptualize, but, you know, it, it can be an iterative process, right, where you can just start collecting a few things at a time and start um, adding on from there. But to, to really become data-driven, you have to have the data, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the ability to collect as much as possible that you find relevant to the project or relevant to the company or, you know, anything like that, that's that's really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can you give a couple of specific examples, like, of, of data that might be collected for the purposes of, of data-driven design? Sure. So I think, you know, we can we, we could start at like the macro scale and work mm -hmm. our way to the micro scale from a data from a data standpoint. And I think, you know, Brett and I work a lot in that macro scale, right? Where we're collecting national, regional, you know, specific data sets around demographics at a at a very granular level, but we're amassing, you know, tens of millions of records of data about a market, for example, to be able to understand the impact that a, you know, if someone's entering a new market, for example, they want, we want to be able to tailor, you know, their services that they're providing, whether that's healthcare, research, et cetera. 
specific to those demographics and again be very in, in using data to be intentional about what we're looking for from a design response at a mm -hmm. at a really granular level what what we're collecting data on is everything from uh, we'll call like exhaust data for things like sensors and you know occupancy sensors or uh, badge swipes for key cards there are there are things where some systems even have like HVAC and other parts have data around, you know, use and it's streaming back to a building system management platform. Um, so we would leverage that data as well. It really comes back to the problem that we're trying to solve. And so when we're at the strategic planning level, it's more demographic. When we're at the operations design and occupancy level, we're really trying to refine adjacencies. Then we might start to look at, you know, non-traditional data sources more in the IoT space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, that adds a lot of clarity. Yeah, that, that's good. And so once people are collecting data, I guess maybe the more important question following that is how do you go about interpreting it? Like, what do you do with it once you once you have it in hand? Brett, do you want to talk about some of the ways that uh, you've gone about interpreting the data that, that you've collected for things in the work that you've done? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, a lot of the initial phases after you get a data set that you're trying to do some to get some insights out of uh, the most important, or I guess one of the most important steps is called exploratory data analysis. So basically your goal is to just get a feel for what that data looks like. And so you can be looking at things, you know, if it's, there could be some numerical feature, right, that maybe describes a frequency or a size of a building or whatever it is, right? And so we might just want to be looking at just simple, like, descriptive stats on it and distributions, things like that, right? Just gives you a general sense of, of what this data looks like. And it can be the same thing for, you know, what we call categorical variables, which could be things like the um, purpose of a room in a building or something like that. And so, you know, there we could be looking at things like just frequency counts of of, uh, of each of those categories. So, you know, that, that EDA process is just a, a very critical step to getting a good understanding of what exists in that data and what it looks like. And that right. EDA process is where the level of like subject matter expertise at the table really comes into play. And that's where Brett and I, you know, work side by side to be able to say, you know, like Brett's background is not design or architecture engineering and construction. And my, and Eric Carlson, like the, like our other partner, Linear A is, is a healthcare, has a healthcare background. So for example, when we work on healthcare projects, we all three collectively go through that EDA process and start to provide each of our, the context around that data because the context is really, really important. And I think, you know, again, it gets back to we want to be, we, we want to understand the data. We also want to understand the data as it relates to the problem at hand. And mm -hmm. so there are things around distributions and, you know, the, the statistics of the data that are absolutely important when it comes to correlation analysis and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, we want to be able to understand how the data, what the data means, what story we can tell with it related to that particular project or problem at hand. Right. Yeah. yeah. Visualization. That that's a big key of that too. Okay. Yeah, and that was a good call out too on the uh, on the subject matter experts, right? Because just a couple weeks ago, uh, I was working on something trying to get. I think it was the the uh, hiring data set that we were looking at, Joel and I. I was I basically went to Joel and said, Hey, here's what I'm seeing and I think that these features are probably the most important and this is kind of what I'm seeing. Does this make sense to you? And he said, That makes perfect sense because that's what these features mean, right? And that's just right. that kind of back and forth was for for me when I when I don't have the context of what each feature means in that data set, I can still find 
what's important and what drives certain things, but I don't necessarily know what that means, right? <laughs> There's a difference there. Right. Yeah, and I liked what you said, Joel, too, about the data kind of telling a story of and it helps you kind of accomplish what you want to set out to do, what problems you want to solve. So once once you kind of understand what the data means, how can designers, for example, like just leverage that for the greatest impact as far as what they're trying to accomplish in their designs? I think one of the best ways designers can leverage data is by really trying to understand not just what the data means, but the data's relationship to other elements within itself. So for especially for design projects, uh, when we start talking about like a, a facility response to a to a problem, there's a couple different uh, there are a lot of assumptions that go into that. One, right, I need to design a building. Do you? Mm-hmm. And if the data set, what if the what if the market data, what if the internal data that's provided by our by our clients or partners says that, hey, you don't actually need to build this building or you don't actually need to do this. You could do something from an operational perspective and reuse the existing space that you have. So I think the, the best way that designers can leverage data is to, to aim to understand what it means and to not try to bring their own bias to the table and say, well, I want the data to say this, so the data says this. And mm-hmm. I think that's a it's a it's a shift in thinking, um, mainly because you know, and again, I'm classically trained as an architect, so I was not uh, data driven through school. I, I worked on you know, daylighting simulation work that was kind of my my focus from that perspective, and that helped drive a lot of the how I thought about design. But it was not anything more focused around data than that. And I think I've had to shift my thinking to say, okay, if if the, the data says X and we've gone through this exploratory process, we understand the relationships, we see the value and importance, then, and I'm trying to force Y, then mm-hmm. why am I doing that? I should be a little bit more open to what the data is saying and allow it to be a bit of a back and forth between what I believe is, is the right design response to something and what the mm-hmm. data is saying and, and try to avoid the scenarios of, well, just throw the data out because it doesn't agree with what I want to do. So it's really about how it impacts process and how it in, and how that change in process leads to more informed outcomes. Right. That's, yeah, a, that's a really good point too on on having those inherent biases before you look at the data because that is common everywhere where you know you might be looking at something and you think okay this is what it should be showing me and then when it doesn't show that you're trying to find a way to make it show that which you know it's 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 very easy to lie with statistics. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and, and we will talk about ethical situations in the next podcast. But, yeah, you guys, I, I think you both made really good points as far as what the outcomes are and, and remaining unbiased as far as the data goes. Because ultimately, design, you know, designing buildings is about the occupants and the people. So what about the human element of the equation? I think, Joel, you mentioned that early on in the conversation. Like, how do you go about balancing the needs of, of the people with the technology that's tracking their movements, how do you keep it from being too invasive? Sure, uh, that's a really it's a really good question. And again, it it comes back to for me balance, and it also uh, a significant part of this is also transparency. But even before we dive into necessarily those two exact topics, I could give kind of a, a case study about how I try to yeah. use data to tell a story about the human element. And, mm-hmm. you know, so much of our work is driven by, at Linear A, is driven by demographic and market analyses, which, yeah, we get very granular around, you know, things like age, race, uh, gender, 
any sort of like uh, LGBTQ status, things that are human kind of data elements. And what we, the way that we start to use that from a design perspective is by saying these are the types of people that are going to be occupying this space. So if we can develop personas within our data and be able to say, you know, these are, these are the primary users that you're going to have. Now let's look at, let's do some research on what the needs for those user types are based on their demographics. We don't all need and use and want the same things out of our lives. So if we can use data to understand what those occupants look like to maybe start to predict the types of people that are going to be using the space, then we can design spaces that are very meaningful and very intentional for those end users, starting with a very a macro level understanding of who's going to be occupying that space. After the first say after construction, when we start to look start to talk about things that are like post occupancy evaluations, then we can say, okay, let's let's be very open and transparent. If we're going to collect data on our users, let's make sure that they're looped into those conversations that that everyone is kind of clear about what the what that data what data is being collected, why it's being collected. Um, I think that's a hugely important piece that. As you mentioned, we can get into the ethics uh, on, in the next podcast, but at the end of the day, you have to start that data collection process with mm-hmm. some sense of, of those ethics and transparency. And then you really want to look at, well, we thought it was going to be this. Here's what we're actually seeing in the data. Let's start to understand why. And let's so that the next time we do this or the next time we look at this problem, we can say, hey, you know, we learned these lessons. And it's not about changing the analysis to, to refit. It's about, it's about understanding if there is a difference, why does that difference exist? Is that a result of the design? Is that a result of something that we just couldn't have predicted? And we want to be able to then use that understanding and that knowledge on the next project. Data-driven design is first and foremost about generating design wisdom through the use of data and the pursuit of knowledge. And data is just kind of that first piece. It's not the end goal. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think this is a good place to pause because, um, as you mentioned, Joel, we'll kind of get into more of the ethical considerations of data collection and how you use that data uh, in the next podcast. So we'll have plenty more to talk about for sure. So we'll pick up the conversation uh, with Joel and Brett next week and dig a little bit deeper into this topic. So, guys, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, thank you so much. Yep. Well, for our listeners out there, uh, thank you as well for subscribing to I Hear Design. Uh, Tune in again next week for part two of our technology series. And as always, be well, everyone.